invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Psalm 10. If you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the pew, this will be on page 421, and it'll continue on to the next page. But page 421, Psalm chapter 10. As a church family, we're going through the Psalms week by week, and so here we are in the 10th Sunday of the year. It's been quite amazing how mild of a uh, winter that we've uh, thus far experienced, and it feels like spring has sprung. At least some of our plants think it's sprung, and so we're hoping there isn't a deep frost uh, coming in the future so that they can just continue to grow. Uh, but here we are in Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. And let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His way prospers at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He, the wicked, says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression, and under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in the thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He'll never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands to you, the helpless commits himself. You have been a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. That'll conclude our reading for this morning. In Psalm chapter 2, it also began with a why question, but in Psalm chapter 2, the question was about the surrounding nations and why do the surrounding nations rage against God? And here, the grief and sadness and anger that is being expressed by the psalmist is not because there is wickedness around the people of God in foreign nations who are coming against them, but this is the specific grief that comes when the very people entrusted with leadership among the people of God go astray and become wicked themselves. And so this is a different kind of grief that the psalmist is expressing. 
And we see it in a a few ways as the psalm goes on, but the psalmist is grieving ungodly leaders because we get that in all the ways as the psalmist sort of uh, speaks in the voice of the wicked person. There are several times throughout the psalm where the wicked one is not somebody who's totally ignorant of God's ways, but the wicked person is someone who knows something about God and who renounces what they know about God, who begins to drift away and say, yes, I know you want this, and I know you say that, but I don't actually think you care, and I don't, I don't think anybody's going to hold me accountable if that person starts to drift and intentionally grow in their callousness towards wickedness. And we also see it because the psalmist is is not only speaking in the voice of the wicked person who knows and renounces many things about God, but part of what the psalmist is grieving is that the wickedness is so close. And so the grieving is, God, why are you so far away? Because the wicked leadership that we are under is right by us, is, is waiting to ambush is, is, is one of the ways that it's described, that has the ability to catch the poor in a net. So uh, the wickedness that's being grieved is not far out there, and it's, it's on the way coming from a foreign nation. This is specifically grieving now that wickedness is reigning in high places within the nation of Israel. And so what do you do when those who have been entrusted to leadership become themselves wicked. Their authority and their position of power has not changed, but the direction of their lives and their moral and ethical commitments have completely gone astray. That's what the psalmist is grieving. That's why there's this urgency to say, God, why, why are you so far off? Because the, the wickedness is like right here in the house of God's people. And there is so much damage that therefore can be done. And the psalmist is is also giving voice to that, how how significant the reach is of the harm and the damage that is done when there is sinfulness and wickedness in high places among the covenant community of God. And this isn't a singular experience, right? Most of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings tells the story of people entrusted with leadership in the people of God who ruled in ungodly and unrighteous and wicked ways. And so if you're sitting there like me and you're one of the ordinary people saying, God, what do we do with this? (laughs) This is wickedness right here, right now, among those of us who know what your law says, who know what your wills and your ways are. And yet we're seeing people drifting from that. This isn't a singular experience. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. You'll see a prophet grieving this as the prophet uh, cries out against the bad shepherds of Israel. This is on page 676. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, 
Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand. And put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. What a sad story that the sinfulness and wickedness had so permeated the leadership in the land of Israel that God's message to the prophet was against all the shepherds who were not carrying out their responsibilities. This is not just in the Old Testament. This is repeated then again in a totally different generation, but a similar challenge. One of the uh, sort of harshest messages of Jesus himself is Matthew 23. So if you take your Bible still open and you turn to page 777, we'll get Jesus himself crying against the wickedness that had arisen in the leadership of the people of God. And we, we don't have the time to read the whole thing, but we'll read enough of it for you to get a, a sense of it. Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. And lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats and the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi. You have one teacher, and you're all brothers and sisters. Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And that's where we'll stop. It doesn't get any better as you keep reading it. There's Jesus very much reflecting 
the tenor of the psalmist in Psalm 10, which is, what do you do when there is wickedness in the very places in which uh, the, the authority of God's word is supposed to rule and reign? Well, one should grieve it. It should cause you to be sad to see uh, the harm that is done to the people of God when ungodly people lead them. And there should be a sense of righteous anger. Righteous anger that we express when that is, in fact, the case. We see that righteous anger in the psalmist. We see it in the prophet Ezekiel. We see it in Jesus himself. That is anger that flows from the fact that God has, as Gaylord let us, he's created us in love. Anybody that he's entrusted and allowed to assume levels of leadership over his creation are supposed to carry out that responsibility in the same love with which he created the world and which he redeemed the world. And so when leadership rises that cares about itself and not about its people, when uh, makes itself better and harms the people entrusted to its care, it is appropriate and right to be angry. The New Testament tells us to be angry, but do not sin. But anger flows from our own love of God, his will, and his ways, and our love for God's people that he has created. And so when you go through Psalm 10 and say, well, how am I supposed to react when there's a sense that those who are leading are just setting up traps for the poor? You, sh you should be angry. How am I supposed to feel when it's they're, they're lying? It says it lurks in ambush like a lion in the thicket. You should be angry about that. There's, there's nothing about that that you should say, well, I guess I should just be okay because you know they're in charge. And because they're in charge, it must mean that God's okay with it. That's one of the temptations that uh, we can just sort of resign ourselves to, which is also what the psalmist is sort of wrestling through. God, I don't think you're okay with it. And just because I see it's happening, and just because I see it's happening by people that otherwise have all the external uh, visibility of being in the covenant family, doesn't mean I have to believe it's okay. Like wrong is wrong. It doesn't matter who's doing it. And so there's an appropriate righteous anger that we should experience. Uh, you've heard it said, you know, to be careful of a wolf that's disguised in sheep's clothing, but much more dangerous is a wolf disguised in shepherd's clothing. Much more dangerous is a wolf disguised in shepherd's clothing. And so there should be among the people of God an appropriate sense of those of us who know his will and his ways and his character. Anger, when injustice is given license and permitted by those who rule and reign. When our family had the opportunity in 2018 to go to Israel, I was able, in seeing the, the landscape of uh, the land, to, to get a different image in my head when I 
read about sort of shepherds in Israel because just sort of growing up and seeing mostly images of sheep and shepherds in a British or Scottish or American countryside, I I had an image of sort of plentiful land and calm and peace, but the landscape of Israel is much more like this uh, picture. So this was taken on my phone when we were at one site uh, to get a sense of of the terrain of where uh, a shepherd guiding sheep would often Uh, be walking around with the sheep. And when you see terrain like that and you ask yourself, well, what are the potential dangers if you're a shepherd leading sheep in this sort of environment? Well, one, you you immediately recognize everything doesn't look green and lush. Everything's not flat and defined very nicely by clean and simple fences. This is rough and harsh terrain in which a young David would have been keeping sheep alive. And so you actually have to keep on moving as opposed to just being stable because the grass is always plentiful. You find some food and you move on to find more food and then you move on to find water. And then you ask yourself, well, how vulnerable would the sheep be in this environment if the shepherd doesn't do their job? How quickly you get lost in this terrain If you get lost, how easy would it be to find your way back? Profoundly challenging. And so the responsibility of a shepherd over sheep in this kind of environment elevates all the more the task that we are called to. And so the psalmist is then pleading for, God, would you hold the shepherds accountable? The psalmist is longing for loving accountability to be experienced among those in leadership, calling for justice to rule and to reign, calling for people to be held to account and held to the standards of God's word and God's ways. And that's one of the signs of unhealthy leadership versus healthy leadership. How do they respond to accountability? We often in relationship feel this tension between, well, I know you, so I don't necessarily want to say something about you, and I don't want to call you out, and uh, the, the scripture encourages us, again, that what is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong, and all of us should be willing to embrace the accountability that we need. Any one of us can go astray. And part of the gift of the family of God is that other people can allow us uh, and, and, and hold us accountable when they see, I'm not sure that you're, you're walking as consistently as you say. I'm not sure we together are making decisions that are actually in the best interest of other people. This, this actually seems like it's just in the best interest of us. We all need loving accountability. Because the sad reality that is expressed in the psalm is, one, we could already think of people in our own lives that we maybe have been hurt by or surprised by then discovering that what they preached they did not practice and we've experienced that level of grief and frustration over that hypocrisy and this psalm is saying one don't deny that acknowledge that grieve that but also then to recognize almost any one of us could be there if we're not there in not too distant future There's no one that you know that's so healthy right now that they couldn't become unhealthy a year from now or five years from now 
that couldn't begin to drift in the ways they lead and the ways they care for other people. And so not only do we uh, need it uh, individually as we think of times where it's lacked in other people's lives, but we need it as a way to ensure that whatever goodness or health we might be experiencing now, that we continue to experience that. Because it's the most loving thing we can do for one another is to hold each other accountable to the words and the wisdom of God, to his righteousness and justice. Because scriptures also tell us that there is always this correlation of our drifting away from God and his word to then the harm that we might cause other people. Because our love for God is then reflected in our love for neighbors. And so if we begin to apostatize from God or blaspheme God, it's not just an intellectual decision to say, oh, these are things I used to believe and I don't believe them anymore, but oftentimes that belief is adjusted because our behavior is no longer consistent with what it was before. And so Cain, in his, uh, in his unwillingness to accept accountability before God, didn't just affect his relationship with God. Abel was the one who suffered. A Christian husband who begins to drift in his sense of accountability before God is not the only one and actually often the primary one who will suffer the consequences of that. It'll often be the spouse and children. A business owner who's beginning to drift on how they manage the books and report on their finances, again, can cause significant harm over everybody else who works under them and is dependent on the proper operation of things to anticipate more work in the future. We all need loving accountability in the home, in the workplace, in the church. It's how we're able to serve one another and mitigate the potential harm that can be done. And no one person is healthy enough that they don't need accountability. The only person that passes that test all the time is Jesus himself. But nobody else. And in fact, part of the language of Ezekiel in the prophecy against him is it's so bad that he had to come and say, I'm, I'm going to shepherd directly because those who were the shepherds over God's people had missed the mark so much that he was going to come and do it himself. So if you go back to Ezekiel uh, 34, you see this promise. We stopped right before the promise of the good news uh, of what Jesus would say beginning, uh, or what the prophet would say beginning in verse 11. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in my justice. And then Jesus repeats this in John chapter 10 when he describes his own ministry to indicate that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. And so uh, as we embrace loving accountability, we also have in Jesus the best example of what does good leadership look like that does not go astray. This is John chapter 10. It says, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. In this figure of speech, Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill, steal and, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Our good shepherd reveals his goodness and how he loves us and cares for us nourishes us not himself provides safety for us is the sense of security as the very door of the sheepfold who watches us and who when the going gets tough therefore does not flee and leave us to ourselves but loves us enough that he's willing to pay the ultimate price for us to be safe and secure in him and so our good shepherd, again, back in this terrain, which is what Jesus had in his mind, is uh, he described himself in this way. Whether there are wolves or snakes, wolves and wildlife around, our good shepherd is with us in this harsh and difficult terrain. He's watching over us, accepting the responsibility of both nourishing and feeding us, and also protecting and guarding us. I had the opportunity to enjoy this view while I was standing next to Scott Sobey. And as I was enjoying it and he was talking to me, then what he pointed out is what you may be, uh, for some of you I've shown this before, uh, but what you 
maybe haven't seen is that right in the middle of that image is actually a sheepfold. And so it'll be zoomed in on the next picture where the, the, the mountainside actually provides the back wall naturally in the rocky terrain. And then a shepherd built out two walls that came off of the mountainside. And then there's an opening. And so a shepherd would bring all of the sheep in to this place for safety and security. And then the shepherd becomes the door by laying down before the opening once all the sheep are safely in, which both protects them, gives them that sense of security that there he is, but also if anybody's going to come, they're going to have to get through him, the door, to get to them. And Jesus is our good shepherd who is the door that lays before us to keep us in the most difficult of terrains to feel safe when we are with him. And he is the model for us of what good shepherding is supposed to look like in the church, in our families, in our communities, in our nation, in the world. That we would advocate for and cry out for like as the psalmist does for good leaders to rule and to reign for righteousness and justice to flow like living waters so that we do not continue to cry out and grieve as those who are being betrayed by those who have been entrusted with our care and so this is still work that we have uh, for us today in the church all of us who name the name of Christ, we shape and influence the views of other people on who God is, if he is in fact really good. And some of the opportunities that we have to show that to people is by how we handle and steward the authority or whatever power it is that God has entrusted to our care. Because many people, rightly so, having been burned so many times, are genuinely suspicious of any meaningful human leadership. And we should be rightly suspicious of it and suspicious of ourselves. But we also have the responsibility to not abdicate the things in which God has entrusted to our care. And so to find a healthy and new model of leadership in Jesus and then to rely upon him and say, God, would you make me the type of person that you are? Would you help me to carry out your wills and your ways and the difficulties and the challenges of this world in ways that reflect you? One, believing that that's better for everybody. And it also displays the goodness of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we grieve along with the psalmist all the times that people who bear your name who are a part of the covenant community um, uh, reject ultimately your will and your ways who become ungodly and who serve themselves rather than the people entrusted to their care and we feel the, the weight of the, the limitations that so many people uh, feel when the, the very people who are supposed to, to help are actually the ones who cause harm. When the very people we are supposed to trust and feel secure in um, 
turn from you. And Father, we know that many times it, that, that reality, that pain, that hurt, it, it causes us to almost want to ourselves turn away from you, to doubt your goodness, to doubt uh, your justice and your righteousness. And so we pray that you would help each and every one of us with whatever experiences of hurt and suffering we've felt at the hands of other people, to not allow that to shape our view of you. Uh, and to not ever ultimately have our faith placed in any other human person except you, that you are a rock, you are our fortress, you are the only one worthy of our complete trust. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to draw nearer to you, like the psalmist fighting out in faith to sense you, that you are closer than any enemy. You are a refuge in the midst of any storm. And so, Father, we pray that you would be a shelter over us and that you would help us in, in the grief and the pain we experience from wickedness, Father, that you would help us uh, to ourselves be accountable to you and accountable to other people to say, God, help us not to, to extend that hurt or that harm. Help us to honor you in all that we do. And we desperately need your grace for that. That we thank you when every other shepherd failed us, that you became the shepherd that we needed. We thank you that you loved us enough to give your life for us. And we, so we thank you that you still hear our cries and our prayers, that you know our voice like we know yours. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.